0: welcome you're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers we're taking a journey deep inside the human brain past the surface clutter and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question what makes people buy I'm your host Kevin Rogers along with the most ripped-off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton. And this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. It's Kevin Rogers here with John Carlton. Hey, John. Hey, you potty-mouthed little bastard, you. (laughs) Where do you know me from? (laughs) Uh, Yes, today we're going to talk about dirty words. Dirty words, uh, why they have so much power over people and um, how to really use them, not only in copy, and marketing, but in everyday language. And um, so a little bit of history about the um, origin of filth. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's a topic that we've been it's been on our radar this week john because there is a pretty i don't say high profile but within our little circle of writers and ne'er-do-wells uh a, a pretty fun debate going on in social media about uh dirty words and well uh, fun
1: fun for some and genuinely upsetting apparently for others so yeah i guess you're yeah right. he Anytime you get 400 plus comments on a thread, uh, which wasn't meant to, which was not necessarily a clickbait type of thread or meant to do that. Mm -hmm. And whenever you get regular commenters on someone's thread who feel... Um, assaulted, or feel like wait a minute this wasn't supposed to happen, and they're not being trolled, but they're actually being engaged in mm. dialogue that they didn't expect to be engaged in, which is what was interesting to me in that thread we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And and the folks here listening don't need to to know the specifics of this because we're not going to out anybody. But basically, uh, a a colleague was upset about the use of a word that a British colleague was using in in uh, his newsletter and uh to him it was obvious that you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do this in marketing you shouldn't do this in presenting yourself that's uh, they actually use the word degrading and disgusting in, in describing the word and we'll get to that word in a bit but it's unimportant what the word is uh, what's more important is as uh as kevin uh just discovered before we got on the call uh and, and i'll let him talk about it how, how many languages there are and people still get upset with words yet as marketers and especially as writers words are our toolkit words are what we work with and we have to it, it you know we it, having a big vocabulary won't help you as much as knowing Really understanding a smaller, more compact type vocabulary and especially a small type vocabulary that includes slang that connects or words that connect. Mm-hmm. And you got to be careful with a lot of this stuff. You can't be casual about using powerful words. So Kevin, would you, what were you just telling me? How many languages there are? Up there? Yeah,
0: up to seven thousand languages being spoken on this planet. Seven thousand languages. Isn't that amazing? Do they do they all have uh, filthy uh, uh, slang sections? Hmm. Uh, I have to imagine some of them are just a series of grunts and some, <laughs> somehow <laughs> well, the
1: clicking language. Uh, right. Uh, a, yeah.
0: But, you know, I, it's, it's fascinating how it's I, a lot of it really it comes down to the intent behind the word. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my my friend Jim Brewer tells a great story about meeting his hero brian johnson from acdc uh and brian's a scotsman as we know and uses uh C as uh my friend jim doesn't swear in his act anymore by the way and that was a conscious decision for for him and it's still incredibly effective but he tells this amazing story about his wife who is very conservative um and um religious and so he is gets invited to dinner with his wife and brian johnson's wife and you know (laughs) he is flipping out because he's gonna go have dinner with his his rock hero and uh they sit down to dinner and Every other word out of Brian Johnson's mouth is F and C, F and C, F C. Yeah. And, uh, and he's telling, and his wife is just sitting there <laughs> in shock. And, uh, it's just a, a, a hilarious, you can just feel the, 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 sort of the discomfort going on. And of course, that's what makes it so hilarious. It it, you know, I think it's a great, um, um, analogy for how people feel about language. You know, when you're around somebody like that, it, it just, you know, uh, Irish, Brits, even Aussies, you know, it just slips out of their
1: mouths so casually that it doesn't feel offensive. Well, you know, I, 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 I have to jump in here because I have actually been called in my life from my writing, not from the way I speak, because I'm kind of a, I'm much less of a good speaker than I am a writer because when I'm writing, I get to edit and stuff. But I've been called eloquent before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think it's funny because within those eloquent things that i've said that have been quoted i use slang bad grammar intentionally bad mm-hmm. grammar uh, you know i use the word ain't a lot i twist things around i make my own use of punctuation so sometimes there are naughty words in there and sometimes there's phrasing in there that is that is meant to do what uh, George Carlin said, you know, a lot of swear words do in in comedy, which is to shock or surprise or to embellish what's what's yeah, what's he, happening.
0: He, he said shock is nothing more than a heightened element of surprise.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And as writers, you know, we we understand that. And I will give a three uh, three step way to figure out how and when to embellish your writing in, in, in just a bit. So don't don't let me forget that. Okay. But the idea of being eloquent is uh, the idea of communicating so well that um, there's, there's two sides to being eloquent. One is uh, being called eloquent by another writer almost as an insult, because as 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 fiction writers and as advertising writers the last thing you want to do is call attention to your writing right. you don't want you know the, the famous story that Gary Halbert used to tell all the time was he had a favorite bar back when he was drinking that he would take an ad to before he sent it off to a client and he'd read the ad to these grizzled guys at the bar hmm. and if the response was wow that's a that's a very well-written piece. That's a damn good ad. Then he knew he had a loser. Mm-hmm. The only acceptable response was, wow, where can I get me one of those? <laughs> and yeah. that's probably more apocryphal than, than anything, but I know he actually did that. Yeah. And I've, I've certainly had people that I read stuff to, and the clients, if the clients ever came back and said, that's a great ad, we can't wait to run it, then I knew something was wrong. Uh, because you want to disappear inside of the uh, fiction reader's head, or inside of the advertising prospect's head, you you can't be uh, you can't be so eloquent that you call attention to what you're doing. So the other side of eloquence is within in the context of what you're trying to do, which is disappear and uh, present the best case that that you can make using the words at your disposal. Then. Um, you know, then that is, is not an insult. That's a, um, that's a, uh, that's a high praise indeed. Um, Yeah. Are are you still there? I'm getting a a blank signal here. No, yeah, I'm here. I'm actually, I'm actually, I had to write
0: that down. Uh, You can't be so eloquent that you call attention to what you're doing, man. John, that's one of the best pieces of writing advice I've ever heard in our, our history here, I've never heard you uh, put it quite like that. So I,
1: I just want to emphasize that, man, that is huge. Well, let, let me just tie this right in with that, that three step thing. Let's let's just get that out of okay. the way. If if you want here's here's a tactic for writers. And I've I've been doing this and um it, Sometimes I get into a groove, and I just I, I feel I know my audience, and and I I feel that my I, I am empathetic with my audience, and that how I speak will fit in with how they quote unquote listen to whatever I'm writing, and I'm gonna uh, you know so whether it's on a VSL and they're actually listening or whether it's in a written piece and they're actually reading it, and the voice is inside their head. I need to get. Into the language, into that conversation. Start that conversation so it's inside their head, so it's not outside their head, and they're looking at it. I want it to be a. Uh, I want to take them out of that passive state of of reading and get them into an active state of actually devouring a Much like that urgent conversation I talk about. The best ads are like an urgent conversation. It's just you and one other person. Both bent forward, sitting down, looking at each other intensely. And eh, maybe I'll throw in a, uh, uh, a dirty word here or some kind of embellishment here. First, write your copy with no embellishment at all. And one of the best tactics to to, to use when you're writing, whether it's a first draft and often when it's a last draft, is to leave all adjectives and all embellishment out. Don't use anything other than the bare, stark words that. Um, of, of of the sentence structure. You know, I walked down the street, I waltzed down the street. That's where your your choice of verbs, of action verbs, whatever, you know, I, I floated down the street, I ran down the street, I panicked, uh, I panicked dash ran down the street. Let the action verb do all the work and then look at that. So write copy with no embellishment and work on the action verbs. The second step is to try inserting some safe embellishment words such as gosh darn or even up to freaking and b- believe it or not some people actually uh are offended by the word freaking wow. uh which is well it's because they they think and they think obviously that is you're trying to say fucking and instead you're saying freaking right. and you know they think about that and that, that's why they're against you know gosh darn actually is you know goddamn watered down all the way but anyway some people out there and we'll talk about this too are just looking for an excuse to to be offended. So, uh don't worry about them. So, use the copy with no embellishment, try it. Then if you if you really think it needs embellishment, then try it with absolutely safe uh words that for the most part will not offend anybody. Uh, and again, you know, gosh darn and freaking and uh, golly and uh, things like that. Then try it with your not safe for work ads, your or uh, words. Um the you know George Carlin's seven dirty words, uh, any of that. Throw that in, and then looking at those three examples, which one works for for an advertiser, for a fiction writer, for a nonfiction writer, for anybody trying to communicate? The final test is always which one works. And for my audience, for the way that I write, I find that often I like to throw in an occasional dirty word. Mm-hmm for emphasis for um keeping people moving for taking that sharp you know left turn off of where they thought the sentence was going mm-hmm. um a lot of different things but a lot of times it doesn't work and a lot of times I'm even shocked at myself at how the word doesn't do anything yeah and it can be a regular adjective or it can be a dirty word it can be anything but what i'm doing is embellishing the thought and that gets back to that eloquence and if i'm using it for my own purposes it's probably it's probably better to take it out if it if if the word if the word sacrifices itself to the effort of communication then you know you should fight to the death to keep that word in there Wait. Say that again. If the word sacrifice. If, if 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 the word fits, use mm-hmm. it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And when I say thro- when the word throws itself on you know, on on the barbed wire of of the language wars, this all gets back to who we are and who you and I are, and many most of the listeners I think are Americans mm-hmm. or uh, United States citizens. Let's say uh, there are a couple of Americas, uh, and for me. As much as other countries also protect language to an extent, our First Amendment to the Constitution is, to me, the most important um, article in the entire document because it guarantees. And, and it's not. It, and it's it's kind of all over the map, but it's only that part of the First Amendment that guarantees free speech. It's it's to me it's the ultimate promise of freedom, and for me, I am constantly thinking about all of my ancestor writers, every poor ink stained wretch that came before you and I hmm. who couldn't write what they wanted, who had to watch their language, who could be executed, right. banned, jailed, or worse, um for using the wrong words, who who could be hounded to death. Yeah. Um, you know, the the scribes who did the hieroglyphics in the um in the uh, pharaoh's tombs, were probably essentially slaves. Um, they, they, they weren't exalted at all. And then slowly, grindingly, through, through the history of, of civilization, writers began to um, maintain autonomous uh, 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 and a, a very independent voice outside of the government. And this, is, this wasn't able to take full flower until the Enlightenment and the uh, age of reason and all the things that both formed the uh the american government that we have now which is based on a lot of freedoms that just didn't exist and needed to be codified before uh we came around we didn't necessarily do it perfectly but in an imperfect way i think the whole thing was bent on i want to say what i want to say i want to say it without risk of going to jail of being banned censored now of course Um, In my lifetime, comics and authors have been jailed and banned for language, for nothing more than language, for ideas, for saying the wrong thing when a cop was around. And in fact, it's happening now. The uh, protesters at certain points in the country are saying the wrong thing to a cop. And there are people that will say, don't say the wrong thing to a cop, not understanding that, you know what? you know, maybe you shouldn't in the real world because you'll get your head knocked in, but that right is still there for you. Yeah. So as writers, we have a different appreciation of the idea of being able to have an autonomous thought and write it down and be able to communicate with people. We're not free from consequence, by the way. Freedom of speech, people misunderstand it all the time. They think you can say whatever you want and suffer no consequence. That's not true. You can lose all of your customers. Mm -hmm. You can alienate everyone around you, all your colleagues, your family. You can get divorced. So there's, you are not free from consequence. What you are free from is government interference yeah. And for me, the 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 government thing was the biggie because they have the power to, to exile and ban and censor and put you in jail. Persecute, yeah. Yeah. But, persecute. But, well, no, wait. But okay. the other side is the social side. And that's the battle we will forever fight, which is if. Um, <clears throat> You are going to be someone who chooses to salt your language freely with dirty words. Then, some of the consequences you're going to face is being in audiences, either personally at dinner with somebody, or um, as you're writing, um, dealing with um, uh, audiences that you're going to offend people. So you have to be you have to understand that there are consequences to the words that 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 we choose and sometimes those consequences are harsh and but they should never be unexpected and sometimes you choose to do it anyway because while you may lose half your audience or as you would say you may walk half the room the other half will really be with you will be you'll have a stronger connection with right. the ones who stay yeah i remember lacani uh
0: dave lacani uh, giving an epic speech once about being polarizing and how yeah. the worst thing you could do is be accepted. Yep. <laughs> and uh, boy, I wanted to, I think we both pretty much stood up and cheered at the end of his presentation. He, he's just brilliant. Uh, but um, and I, I remember certain people um, walking out of his speech um, because he was so strong. It wasn't the language, it was, it was, it was the context. Yeah. And so bringing it back to that. And by the way, you bringing it into a little a little bit more modern times here in in the US. You know, Carlin um said the diff- he was sort of unfairly lumped with Lenny Bruce because of language. And and he had a great definition. He said, "Lenny was the first one to make language an issue and suffer for it. I was the first one to make language an issue and succeed with it." And so it really Shows you like that really is the timeline of dirty words in American culture, you know, from 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 Bruce, who who literally fought his entire life, mm-hmm. you know, lost everything to to try to defend himself in, in courts. It died for our sins. Pretty much <laughs> Died for our sins. Yeah. And and George came out and um, and, and did it and made it work. But man, I tell you, you know, to, to listen to a guy like George Carlin and only hear dirty words is is, is such a shame.
1: Well, and it gets back to the to the eloquence thing. He was right. an eloquent comic, yeah. In in the good in the good use of the term, right? You got it. Oh, you are doing. You're you're driving that garbage truck now, right? <laughs> oh, you heard that? That's the uh, landscaping crew outside mowing the law. They they always decide to stop the uh, mower and have a cigarette break right outside my <laughs> the window. They're they're always pretty sure I'm on a call. Um, you know, th- there's a, there's a point here about being safe versus getting somewhere, and you know, I I think anybody with even a small amount of writing talent will be able to safely speak to an audience. Yeah, but. Do you want to be safe or do you want to get somewhere? Do you have a goal? Do you have, and if your goal is to get attention, then by all means, swear like a sailor. But if your goal is to, is to persuade or to, or to bring the, the listener or the reader into your world, then, then we get back to the use of these things. The, the words are tools. The words are part of your arsenal to be able to get somewhere. So there are, you know, you can take a safe piece of copy that somebody's written and go back in there. It won't necessarily improve the piece and it won't certainly won't improve the uh, communication value and you won't get anywhere by doing that. However, you can take a piece where someone has effectively used powerful, not safe for work ad or words in an ad, or a or a movie, or something, and go in and take those words out, and you will eviscerate the yeah. the the power. It's like watch it. Cool. It's like why well, who who would watch The Godfather or, or Wise uh, or Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah, Pulp Fiction or uh, Wise Guys yeah. uh, on uh, or Goodfellas on, broadcast on regular TV, right. where they where censorship and banning is alive and well, right. and you know they're you know they either blank out the words or you know some movies even go back and and you know the oh, actor sits there waits and then says in a different voice, a different timbre, <laughs> you know, right. gosh darn it, you know, right. and you know so, so who. I, 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 apparently, a lot of people do, and we still live. You know, the the interesting part of living in America, especially, is the cognitive dissonance between the First Amendment. And what that meant, and I firmly believe that the guys behind that knew what they were unleashing. It may not not have happened immediately because they were thinking about political speech mostly and about saying what they felt about very heady subjects. But it also, you know, they couldn't, they may have predicted that the fight would come down to swear words versus, you know, polite language, so Mm -hmm. to speak. And, you know, that and the dichotomy between that and the fact that the country is also founded on this Puritan mindset, which has never left. Right. And this idea that sex is bad and nudity is bad and, you know, all of these horrible things are are, are, are happening. And the, the culture, quote unquote, is is going to hell in a handbasket because kids grew their hair long back when I was growing up or because, you know, kids started listening to music. It had swear words in it and stuff. And it's just, I understand and I empathize with people who get upset about this stuff. But I empathize only to the point that I say, yeah, but I think it's better, you know, to be shocked once in a while than to live in a society full of censorship and, you uh, yeah you know and and exiled authors and i mean th- th- there were a lot of books that were banned when i was growing up and we used there's a there's a uh, publishing house called grove press mm-hmm. that operated out of i think belgium but some somewhere in europe and it was an english language press and it was mostly publishing american authors that couldn't get published in america and you could actually be taken to court and i believe go to jail and certainly fined just having one of those books in your luggage when you came back from Europe, wow. having them mailed in could subject you to all kinds mm-hmm. of fines and jail time uh, by using the postal service for sending a pornographic literature. Mm-hmm. And this is literature we're talking about. This is Henry Miller. This is, um, what's his name, Naked Lunch. This is, uh, uh, right, you know, this, this guys. Yeah. yeah, William S. Burroughs. These are guys that are celebrated in, right. uh, among a lot of authors. And yet, uh, you know, certain people in the uh, government decided that, no, you shall not know of these works. And if you do, they shall be outlawed. And, yeah, a- of course, which just made me more interested in reading them, of course. So.
0: Yeah. And that's why it's almost a shame that we've gone so far on the other side of the pendulum right now with uh, language. And it, it's pretty much impossible to avoid dirty words now. In culture, as a, as a parent of young kids, you know, at the age of um, eight, my son's favorite band was Green Day, and my daughter is a couple of years younger than him. And you know, as parents, we had to make a conscious decision to let him listen to these um, songs or not, and read the lyrics. He doesn't just like the the music; he he wants to understand the lyrics, and I. There was just no way that I was going to, you know, censor him from that process because of some language. It's interesting that it was he was 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 he using Dookie every other word then? <laughs> no, there's a lot of F-bombs and, and things, you know, um, and then there's deeper issues that you're kind of going, uh, let's hope we don't we don't. Some things that there was context, again, that you, you in subject matter, that you did not want to have to explain. On uh, one of their popular songs, he says, you know, my life's a bore, so I, I went and got a whore or something like that. And, you know, my son had no idea what that meant and didn't really care. Um, so, uh, you know, now the word whore is in his <laughs> lexicon. And, and sometimes you have to explain certain words. You go, hey, just so you know, that one you just never use. <laughs> right I mean like you know like he came across the, one of the songs we were reading lyrics together and the n-word was in the song used, right. used ironically and I thought alright well this is one of those times where I can't take the chance that he's not gonna know mm-hmm. and so I said look you know Ben uh, certain words have undue power and uh, this is one of them and it, you're just gonna be much better off never using the word ever And, uh, you know, we'll talk about it again when you're a little older and I'll give it more context. But just trust me on this one. Uh, And, um, you know, to be clear, he wasn't ever going around saying any of these words. And, you know, I've seen a pattern of parents who are a little more liberal and what their children experience when they're young as far as, you know, content. And those kids seem a little bit more. Yeah, uh, they're less enamored by it, right? It's yes. it's not as exciting the first time they hear it, and, I, and and you know, as a comic, I wanted my son to under you know be able to curse uh, well <laughs> when when it came time to you know go off on the playground and the and uh, you know with with the boys, and um, <laughs> I don't want to be a kid who couldn't curse, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but. um yeah uh, so but these are you know again they're just words man and, but you you know it, it just it's it's really interesting words uh, start wars and fistfights Ah, man so. you know and 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 uh it it's a fascinating it's just why do you think John that some people um decide because look there there's there's you have to be conscious of it you know I, I've taken to saying I spent 10 years as a stand-up comic and now I've spent 10 years uh with copywriters and there is an amazing uh, amount of parallels between the two as in regards to personality worldview, uh, all these things. But the, the chief among them is their uh, acute ability to swear. Well, mm-hmm. and, uh, loosely. And so I, I can, can't even count the number of times I've been at dinner with a group of people that I really like mm-hmm. and felt terrible for the, um, table next to us. <laughs> and, um, it seems most people just don't even hear themselves or don't know they're doing it, and I could see the poor family cringing over there or whatever, and mm-hmm. I just think, well, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, and some, I sometimes even some once in a while I'll go, hey, just you know, there's kids next door, and some of the people will be, uh, yeah, oh, oh, sorry about that, and they're like, yeah, I can fuck them, you know, they just <laughs> they
1: don't care. Well, you know, Kevin, that that touches, uh, and and if 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 you're making another point, then interrupt me, but that that touches on how a writer how we decide our written personality how who we are going to be in the words right. we choose to to use now it's one you you can be a rebellious anti-authoritarian um uh writer marketer uh personality um without swearing you really can oh, yeah. um uh or you can be a square as you know, with sharp ang- angles that can cut uh, glass yeah. uh, and swear like, like a sailor. I mean, think of some of the comics that are not well respected who, you know, either stole stuff or did things, and if what they stole had swear words in it, they'd use it and they'd use it for shock value, all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. And they're still square. They're they they they, they aren't open minded, they aren't enlightened, right. they're just doing it because they're like trained you know um trained chimps you know uh, like a cover st- band. stimulus and yeah. reaction a cover yeah. band yeah. yeah so when you define yourself and you're and you know it's I have always tried to write like I talk and and of course the great quote is you write like you speak dot 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 if you could edit what you say mm. So the idea is that with writing, you can go back and you don't have to use the same verb five times in a row, or you can take out the ums and the ahs, and you can can make yourself sound a whole lot better because you have the time to go over it and and edit it. So it's not strictly, I'm never as eloquent face-to-face as I can be when I'm writing and have time to think about what I'm saying and, and, and kind of map it out. And that's what was great about Twitter, by the way, it was force. I, I don't like Twitter. I don't use Twitter. But at first, I liked the idea of the 140-character limit because yeah. I, had, I had grown up with a lot of limits to what I could write, uh, headline limits. I liked AdWords for the same same reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, captions under photos. When I was writing captions in an ad, had to be had to be short, pithy, and, and to the point. Headlines, if you wrote too much for an ad that went in a newspaper, it either didn't make it or the type. Would be so small it was unreadable, and the ink would literally blur. You had to keep, you had to work under limits, which forced you, ironically enough, to be more creative about it. As and I would say the heavily censored part of Hollywood. If if anybody's a film fan, watch a film from 1931, which is uh, pre code. Uh, Pre Haze Code. The Haze Code was what you could say, which you couldn't say. Uh, you know, kisses couldn't last longer than three seconds. Nobody could be say- seen in the same bed together. You know, a woman had to keep one foot on the floor if they're sitting on a bed or something. All this nonsense came out but the pre-code it was all over the map and they were Hollywood was headed straight for porno land in 1931 they they were showing nudity a lot in King Kong my favorite movie which I forced you to show uh, to see there's Hmm. there's some nudity in there yeah um they wanted to go it was Hollywood yeah apologize for these gaps who cared about what they were showing, and did not have the hangups of the pure or the Puritan values that a lot of the audience had, which brought about the Hayes Code. And if you look at the after stuff, they were heavily uh, censored, heavily banned. Uh, people, uh, people outside of Hollywood and Washington D.C. actually would take a pin to the scripts and edit them. And yet, Ho- Hollywood's golden period happened during that time, and there were writers. Using double entendres, using different forms of language, right. using uh, visual jokes and things. They had to work a lot harder. But what's interesting is that the idea they were trying to get across to the knowing audience, kind of like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge stuff, was the same stuff they were doing before when they were more overt about it. So it's like it's. I, I keep thinking of my favorite insult of all time is John Cleese from the ramparts of the castle down on King Arthur. You know, I fart in your general direction. <laughs> you know, your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. And and, and you know, it's like King Arthur's just going. He's he's nuts. His, his his head is spinning around and he's you know it's 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 the it's the funniest kind of mockery of insults and yet it's insulting to say it just it's so great to watch this stuff happen yeah oh, I, I i i lost track of where i was going with that oh it it was about the idea of 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 personality choosing your personality or amplifying your personality one of the best things that ever happened to me was early on in my career i was playing it safe for the first couple of years i was writing for uh, clients that I didn't necessarily share their political views. They were in the financial field. I was writing for what we call gold bugs, which are people who, who ho- uh, hoard gold essentially, but they're very interested in buying gold, both in bulk and in gold coins and things like that. But they're buying it because they think the uh, civilization is going to collapse because we're naughty people and God's going to punish us. Right. So I, I had to write within that. So I had to really study the language. And it was good. It was a good exercise in doing this. But then one of the guys who was the most, I don't want to say repressed, but he he was in a way, he, he was... Uh, he, I, I uh, uh, it was, it was Jim Rutz. I was ghostwriting for him, a great writer. But this guy was so conservative, he formed his own church mm-hmm. because the existing Christian churches were not harsh enough for him. So, right. so he he did that. But he understood language really well. But he's the one that told me when I was talking about being kind of reticent about letting people know you know my views and stuff and he said stop he said just do it he said let he actually said some version of let your freak flag fly <laughs> i i don't think he said exactly that but he understood that term and and what he and he pointed out a couple of other writers that had preceded me and there weren't many because there weren't many freelance copywriters even back then there were we were a handful of hardy souls Braving, you know, bucking the headwinds of Madison Avenue, and you know, direct response had become a uh, had become an anachronism, a, uh, a you know, some archaic value that most advertisers didn't like, and we were carrying the battle flag. So we had to be in bed with a lot of different people that we didn't necessarily get along with outside of the advertising world. Right. But direct response was where it was at, and he said, "There's a lot of people that pre- preceded me and him." Who you know? Who had long hair in the fifties? Uh, who who refused to wear a tie in the sixties when everybody else wore a tie? Would would do small anti-authoritarian moments, but they didn't do it to shock and they didn't do it to uh, draw attention to themselves. Those even though those things happened, they were side effects of it. What they were doing rather was allowing their inner self to bloom. They were not holding back on who they were and what and what they represented and where they were going. So they could write copy to the most conservative audience in the world and do it very, very well, but cut loose or in their own missives, their own letters or their own ads for their own products or their own books, they would swear like sailors. They would let it go. They, they understood their personality to the point that they were not afraid to let it happen and they were also not afraid to put a lid on it when it absolutely was necessary. It's kind right. of like the well-armed warrior walking through polite society. Right? Yeah, you, you can cut off someone's head with one stroke with that sharp sword you carry around with you everywhere. But keep the, sh- keep the sword in the scabbard when you're among people that you don't intend to kill. That's it. <laughs> yeah. know, there's a time to bring it out and there's a time to keep it in, in, in the sheath.
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's great. That's, that's a great summary. And you know it's about control and it's about choice, right? You I talk know. about a marketer or a copywriter defining his audience, and you know, going back briefly to that uh, little flame war that that, that broke out on yeah. on Facebook, it you know what amused me, I think, the most about it was the subject of the uh, offense. Yeah. It was nowhere to be found in the debate. And uh, his only response that I saw I just laughed it off. And so to him, I I, for, I get the impression that it, this was not something he pondered and slept yeah. on. Am I going to use this word in a, in a subject line tomorrow? He just came off the cuff. That's how he speaks. And that's the, that's the audience he is looking to speak to. So uh, everybody, the, the big debate and the thing was... You know are you allowed to do this and he and you know how could you justify alienating so much of your audience he's He's purposely doing that he that is his choice and exactly
1: the- one one just to, to jump in there mm. one of the overriding themes of the you shouldn't do this mm. category of the people in in that thread and it was it was a great flame war i mean every, yeah. everybody's respectful of each other and it was it was fun, but the thing was you can't do it here. It was like you you shouldn't yeah. do it here. The author was British, yeah. And as we all know, the Brits love to use the c word just to get the reaction out of Americans. They love it because they get a pass because they have a cute accent. <laughs> and it's like if you say it, the women in the crowd will will you know cut your balls off. But if the Brit if the cute British guy says it, then you know oh he gets a pass. So that me amplifies the fact of it's just a word you know it's it's it, it has power because you've assigned it power right. you gave it power right. you know and and the idea that you can't use it here because we're americans and you should be punished for it by people not buying your stuff and stuff i, I encountered this early on in my career when when i did my first book um kick-ass and tickets of a marketing rebel i did not swear liberally in it but i did throw in a few Uh, a few words because it was me writing to people about things. I wasn't selling at that point. I was fulfilling on on what, what I had sold. So I was communicating and I got a lot of pushback, not a lot. I got some pushback from people who were outraged. At the same time, I was not getting any kudos from people on how the thing was written. I was getting I was getting like very few refunds it's like it's like every person that refunded felt they needed to tell me why they did it and it was almost always about language or that my anti-authoritarian stance or the fact that I was offending their sense of propriety or communication or whatever and it was like I I, I, my first reaction was the right reaction and I applaud myself for this I said don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah. You know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm not going to change myself. I'm thinking back to, to Jim Rutz, who, you know, kind of gave me, you know, is, is equivalent of giving me a note, you know, to take to the teacher. It's like John is is able to swear and not wear a tie and be outrageous, you know, beside Jim You know, and it it, was—it's—you know—we all need those notes sometimes. Uh, I I probably would have arrived at at that rebellious state anyway, because you know it was kind of hard to keep a cap on it, and I was biting my tongue so much that I either had to, you know, explode or get out of the biz. Yeah. But it's it's freeing to be able to be yourself. However, then you got to test yourself in the real world—is that going to fly with every audience? You know. So knowing yourself. And understanding who you are and and what you're trying to do, especially, and again, try the copy, take out every single word that you think is going to set off a red flag with somebody. take out every analogy, take out entire stories if if they if if you think they're going to offend people, and how does that affect the the copy you know good copy is really trimmed down sparse uh not embellished it's very straightforward it's very uh, uh, from from my brain straight to your brain with as little interference or stumbling over words or things that that go on. You know, what's what do we keep telling people right at a third grade level? I think is what they tell newspaper uh, journalists. Yeah. Uh, and a third grade level, you know, is not that good. Jim Rutz also, by the way, violated that. He he wrote at a college level. And he said, he said, and, and he didn't get blowback from this. His pieces were consistently controls. And when I wrote that, it was freeing for me because I had been holding back my entire vocabulary, of you know, keeping the what we call fifty cent words out out of my copy. And I started throwing them in. And we found out that even when people didn't understand the meaning of the word, they could pick it up by context. And if you had the flow going, and the flow with a capital F is what mattered. Yeah. Then you, could, you you weren't getting away with it. You were actually, by sometimes throwing in a word that the reader didn't understand, you weren't stopping the unconscious connection. You were actually furthering it in this kind of perverse way that the universe works where it's like it's like you were reestablishing your credibility as being in charge of the conversation even though the reader was feeling part of the conversation maybe even talking along with it maybe go look up the word later Mm. but you didn't you'd never use a word to stop it you use a word to further what you're doing right you got to be clear on where you're going and you want to get there as efficiently as possible and sometimes that includes swearing surprise sharp right turns you know the incongruous juxtaposition of of uh, competing uh, elements that that actually make somebody sit back and go whoa you know bring a tear to someone's eye uh cause uh, you know i i talk about power words uh, and it's funny that in that whole report of power words i don't think there's a single dirty word in there yeah and um i think you're right uh uh there, there, you know, it's and and it's because there's a lot of power in words before you get to the to the shock value stuff. So what you said earlier about shock versus surprise, I think you're quoting jo- George Carlin, makes a lot of sense. What is that for? You know, it's like magicians, you know, do you want to do a straight magic act, you know, pick a card, any card, you know, is that level? And then there's a the level where you actually think, you know, his assistant died right there on stage. It's like what <laughs> Penn and Teller started doing. You know, blood spurting everywhere. You know, and you know, and, and yeah. you know, it's two entirely different approaches to right. the same end. They're they're both magicians, or they're both yeah, performance artists, I guess. All right, I, I just went down a dark alley. All right. I have no idea how to get out of it. So, well, I think I
0: think this is a good place to recap um, because you you really um, man, uh, you know, you talk about not being as eloquent. Uh, in your speech, but I would argue that I know what you mean about ums and ahs, but that's sort of the beauty of what makes a conversation a conversation. Uh, and, you know, when I we... particularly like the, the inclusion of the lawnmower about 26 minutes. This. <laughs> you know, there's another thing I have to call out um, for some reason. Uh, our Skype connections, um, you, you cut out occasionally for about mm. six seconds. Oh boy. And I never know when it's going to happen. And uh, I sit here um, and my stomach drops because you're always—it's some um, amazingly. So it, um, it happened this time. Yeah, yeah, two or three times, and it's just going to have to be a signature of the show. Be- because, and you know, I think it's actually kind of cool because people will go, oh my God, what, what exact words did he say right there? I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's yet to actually remove a, 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 the meaning or the understanding of what you're saying. Right. Uh, but I in the last show, I went and edited them down so there wouldn't be these weird gaps. But I'm going to leave them in so our true listeners will know, oh God, when's the gap? You know, they'll be on edge a little bit going, yeah. oh, what? If, I hope it don't dip out right now.
1: <laughs> well, it's like it That's goes back to... It goes back to, you know, you know, I was, and I think you said you were too. I was that kid in the sixties. Uh, you know, 12, 13 years old with the transistor radio hiding under the covers at night, right. tuning in stations that I could only pick up late at night. These are AM stations because at night, the airways would calm down and I could pick up St. Louis or the, the uh, 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 I forget the name, but it was Wolfman Jack out of Tijuana, Mexico. He was on this five five wow. 500,000 watt station and I can't think of the name of it, but pick up oldies or pick up talk shows. Yeah. And, when you're listening to the radio, there's always interruptions. You know, you lose the station. It fades out, especially when you're trying to get the really far away stations and they would fade out. They would come back and I'd hang with it. It's yeah. I, fun- I, funny to mention that it was, it was just, it never interfered. You know, I'd, I'd be listening to Ken Nordine, yeah. uh, word jazz rants and, uh, you know, it would start to fade out and I'd just, I just, my heart would sink and then it come back and my heart would soar. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah it's I remember, uh, uh
0: Oh, when I was on the road I loved AM radio especially late at night you know you'd be driving for six hours eight hours yeah. or more and you just catch that zone where you go I could go all night now I'm, I'm, I'm here you know <laughs> and I'd always love to catch Larry King back when he had his radio show he's wow. one of the greatest interviewers ever yeah. and he could make any guest fascinating and I would know I could hear the signal start to start to flutter and I'd actually slow down sometimes <laughs> you know I'd go from like 70 to 55 going oh I got I, I gotta hear the end of this interview or, or even pull over sometimes so you didn't learn. Or leave head it.
1: off head off to Cleveland instead of Pittsburgh. <laughs> because...
0: Yeah, they gotta need a comic in Cleveland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so great stuff. I'm just gonna a couple things uh just to recap. We're not usually this formal, but man, you just had some gems in this one. Um, when it comes to um your writing disappear into the work. Uh, yeah. Do not become so eloquent that you call attention to what you're doing. Wow. Uh, the three steps for uh, deciding um, your language or the, the the harshness of the tone you think is best for the piece. Step one, no embellishment at all. No adjectives. Um, make the verbs, do the work. Uh, step two, mild embellishment. Increase the... Um, uh, not the flowery flowerness of the language, but the uh, intensity of the language. And then step three is the not safe for for work language, right. and use that as a gauge. Read it out loud. See how it feels. Find out if the piece indeed needs that, or if you're being gratuitous. Um, I love what you said about uh, you know the certain words throwing themselves on the barbed wire of, of the language war, wars. Um, just beautiful. You know, basically, if the word fits, use it. Um, you know, you don't have to get up tight and, um, Oh, you're back. You just did that for a second.
1: Uh, my whole connection went, so yeah, I, I don't know if okay. you continued talking, I, about, we're I did. we're still recording. So. Yeah, we're still
0: recording. So it should be fine. Recapping. Okay. And then, um, I love what you said, you know, going back to being eloquent in speech. Um, this is something I'm going to print out and, and add to my wall of Carlton. Great quotes, right? Like you speak. If you could edit what you say, um, that's amazing. I've I right. somehow never. And heard I think you say
1: that I, anymore. I, I think the other thing you may not have written it down, but for me, it's it's such an urgent issue, and really right to the heart is all of the writers that have been before us led miserable lives, and we are living in a golden age of writing yeah. on the web. You can say fuck on Facebook and not be banned. Mm -hmm. No government agent will show up on your doorstep. If your blog is one steady stream of the worst filth that that you can possibly write, they're not going to knock on the door, bust in and take you off to jail. Mm -hmm. You won't be exiled. Your books can I? You know, I purposely wanted to see what would happen on Amazon. You, do you remember, I floated the uh, title of my book, "The Entrepreneur's Guide to Getting Your Shit Together," right? To all of the Algonquin list, and I was urged to the point of people calling me privately and saying, "Please don't do this. <laughs> Please don't use that headline. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna murder yourself." And I used it, and it's, you know, first there was, you know, I, you know I, I don't think it it kind of cuts the crowd down that's going to complain when they get inside the book before they even open it. So it's kind of this big cleave-y, right. uh, cleavage, you know, between my audience right off the bat. If, if the title is going to upset you, you really do not want to open that book. <laughs> Yeah. And and it hasn't hurt it, – it may have helped sales, too. I got – you know, I've had several guys from Dan Kennedy, you know, to people who who don't know me, you know, have mm. said, gutsy move, dude. I wish yeah. I had thought of that first. You know? Right. Yeah. You know, I think about the children's
0: book. There is a, a satire of – um you know what it is it, Now go to sleep or whatever And, and the title was like you know, oh,
1: oh I know which one you're talking about yeah.
0: yeah. Now go to fucking sleep or whatever it was <laughs> And it was just hilarious And again it's that, that incongruous juxtaposition Of you know swearing in a children's book And it just really spoke To, to parents in that situation They having to read it for the 900th time And uh, you know it, 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 People are okay with it but again, it's it's the intent, it's the context. Mm-hmm. So don't hold back, don't be a prude, but be yourself. If you just don't like um, profanity, there's no reason to feel like you should use it. And if it comes off naturally for you, let her rip, man. And by the
1: way, there are huge audiences out there for prudish marketers (laughs) i've dabbled in them Mm -hmm. and they may be the majority markets in fact um so you are not being punished if all of this is just you know is is horror you know and consternation and you know you're convinced the world is going to hell in a handbasket because you know writers are now able to speak like this you know with impunity there are there's plenty of room for what we call squares or prudes or whatever mm-hmm. to operate, grow rich, be happy and essentially, you know, uh, you know, keep us at arm's length or but you're not going to you're not going to make us go away. That that would be the one victory that riders have had. And it's the first time in history, really, that that we've been able to get to this point. So I mean it's it I I'll say it again I'm so shocked in my life comics were jailed mm-hmm. authors banned incredible in America in my lifetime and it's still happening people are still being hauled off to jail for language although some of that language is confrontational mm-hmm. meant to upset uh, people and yeah incite or excite mm-hmm. still though people get confused it's like no you can't say yes you shouldn't say you yell fire in a theater, mm-hmm. and if you cause a stampede and somebody gets hurt, you should be punished. Um, maybe even go to jail. That's not the same thing. That's you know the word itself, fire, shouldn't be banned because somebody might use it in a crowded theater.
0: Yeah, treat treat,
1: treat profanity like
0: you would a tattoo. Ha! That's good. I like it. You, you know, use it if it if it's something you're willing to wear for life. Yep are uh, you gonna regret it the next day? It, it, it don't don't swear like a tramp stamp. Swear like a biker sleeve. <laughs> did
1: you just make that up? I did. That's really good. That was eloquent. Thank Kevin. you. I was eloquent for a moment. It's not not using in my MO. Yeah, uh, you're you're often eloquent. <laughs> All right, you. are are you going to uh, cheap out and not do Carlin's uh, seven I, words, or
0: I, I don't mind doing them. I, I don't feel like it's necessary. I think everybody knows them, and I'd rather have you should them
1: urge everyone to look them up. Look them up. Uh, uh, go to uh, Google yeah. Carlin's seven words, or actually just look up seven words. I think uh, you, yeah. Google will probably come up with it. And marvel that he became famous. Largely on the back of saying what other people thought was unsayable, and the context
0: he used it in, he's teaching. That's right, and I think that's important.
1: Great. Yeah, the the um, the um, uh, difference between him and and Len, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce was like the shock troops, the first guys in there, not knowing there's mustard gas and and barbed wire <laughs> and pit, flo- you know, and uh, and uh, mines and things. And uh, Carlin was a more studied approach, uh, following the same path but taking better care. But still, you know, facing the wrath of of uh, the, the fact that he was doing something people didn't want him to do. So, all right, I, I I think that was that was a great show. We talked about power and about words, and I I I hope we do a couple of more shows like this. Uh, I'd love to hear what people have to say. Please don't pop on to the comments and just show us how well you can swear.
0: Yeah, although I, what I the don't heck? think our audience will do that. Yeah, they can <laughs> But uh, you know, I'd love to hear from the from the people who. Um, If they got through this episode, who just feel like, give me an, talk about eloquence, an eloquent reason why you just don't appreciate profanity, rather than finger, not finger wagging, but reason. That'd be, that'd be a fascinating discussion to me. So we'll see you over there. PI, the number four, mm.com. This is the worst marketed uh, podcast in the world that (laughs) the coolest people in the world all listen to. So enjoy it and we'll see you there. (laughs) 拜拜